This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. I'm Andrew and in this episode we're going to be talking to Jennifer Ngo-Ann, team leader for human and robotic exploration at the European Space Agency. Because the European Space Agency have announced that they're looking for new astronauts. It could be you. And I know that there are a fair few of you listeners who are going to be applying. I know this because you've told me, and I know that some of you stand a very good chance of becoming one of this next group of astronauts. There is, of course, the International Space Station and all the wonderful science that's done there, but there is coming in the future missions to the moon, and, as we've heard about on the Cosmic Shed before, from ESA's Mark Corcoran, there is, in the not-too-distant future, the Lunar Gateway. We'll be talking to Jennifer about all of this science and the exciting opportunities to come. But I began by asking Jennifer how she had got involved in the European Space Agency. So I'm a medical doctor by training. Uh, in addition, after my medical studies, I uh, obtained a PhD in neurosciences and I joined the agency in 2006 uh, and have since then coordinated various ground-based and also space-based uh, science activities in the ESA Directorate of Human and Robotic Exploration. Um, I was drawn to ESA because I like the international collaboration um, every country is so different and has its specific identity and priorities. But in the space area, everyone is working together towards one shared ideal. And if we ever manage to leave our planet and uh, explore deep space, it will be because we will have been able to set aside our nationalistic interests in favor of a shared vision. Last year, we celebrated the 20th anniversary of ISS. And with that, the ISS has been the only and the longest running international microgravity research platform ever sustained in human history. And since assembly was completed, a very productive research program has been implemented on board the space station that has continuously grown in pure numbers, but also in complexity. And I'm convinced it will continue to deliver unique results until the end of lifetime of ISS. We may not know yet what will be the most important discovery gained from the space station, but we already have some amazing breakthroughs and I'm convinced that many more will follow because we have just now begun to uh, make full use of all the opportunities that are that are up there. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm struggling to see how neuroscience fits with Space travel. Well, um, my, my studies had uh, nothing to do with space. Um, um, so, yeah, my medical studies were very, very traditional, uh, centered around the human and the human body. And I was always very, very intrigued on how the human body works. It's such a, an amazing machinery, if you think about it, uh, especially uh, brain and nerves. And that is why I decided to go into neurosciences. Also, because when I graduated from medical school, I was still relatively young. And uh, I got frustrated with patients in, uh, in hospital asking for more senior staff. 
when they saw me. So that is why I went into neuroscience. Uh, but uh, as, I, as I mentioned, it had nothing to do with space. And um, when I was about to graduate, um, I studied in the US. I, uh, yeah, I had to, uh, to look for jobs. And uh, because I was in the US, I uh, applied for a payload uh, um, coordinator position at NASA. Who, um, who then uh, even replied to me. They sent me a very polite letter uh, thanking me for my application, but they uh, told me that they were not able to hire me because I was not, uh, I, I did not have the US citizenship. And they advised me to look for jobs with the European Space Agency. Oh, that's fair enough. And I suppose you get to work with NASA as well, don't you, as partners with them and things? I mean, the International Space Station is one of the most ambitious international collaborations ever attempted. And it's a convergence of science, technology and human innovation. Um, and really, I think the, the international nature of the International Space Station is one of the most outstanding achievements. Um, now, when it comes to research, when it comes to science, um, you probably know since the earliest days of the space program, scientists have studied the health of astronauts in orbit. And uh, our human research program on board the ISS covers all body systems that are affected by the space environment. For example, with our research, we address the issue of aging. Um, astronauts on board the space stage, station age much faster than people down on Earth. And that allows us to study aging processes in a very structured way. We also study the uh, muscle system of our crew members uh, because astronauts work in a weightless environment and therefore very little muscle work is needed to move around and as a result their muscles atrophy and deteriorate in function and everybody who has looked at a gym from the outside knows that uh, if you don't use it uh, you lose it so we all know that without regular use and exercise muscles become weak and melt down which is really something we have to counteract against and we also know that weightlessness affects the sensory motor system and that all astronauts have balance problems immediately after landing. So that is also something we look into and where we try to identify good and effective countermeasures. It would be horrible to have astronauts land successfully on another planetary surface, but to have them trip over or faint. Um, and then also the, the main objective of our space biology research program on board the uh, ISS is to understand how spaceflight affects living systems in space. So through the experiments that we conduct on board the ISS, we look at how plants, how animals grow, develop, mature and age. We uh, study how organisms sense gravity, how they repair cellular damage and how they adapt to the conditions of the space in environment. And we do it across the entire spectrum of biological organization, from molecules to cells, from tissues and organs, and from systems to whole organisms. And uh, just for completeness, uh, our activities also cover physical sciences research. We are running quite a lot of experiments from the material and fluid physics area on uh, metals, plasma, fluids and even textiles in space, looking at how materials behave and perform in the space environment with the vision of finding or creating novel materials. 
Yeah, that's amazing stuff, isn't it? And you'll put a call out now for me, sir, for new astronauts, new people to join this work, to go out into space and get involved in this. Can you tell me what it is that you're looking for from the applicants? Um, the full list of the criteria and requirements will be published with the vacancy announcement this week. But uh, very briefly, applicants must have a minimum of a master's degree from a recognized academic institution in natural sciences, medicine, engineering or mathematics and uh, computer sciences with at least three years of postgraduate professional experience. So that could include working in a lab, conducting research in the field or working in a hospital. Um, holding a PhD or an equivalent degree in one of those uh, subject areas are considered as assets, but they are not essential. Um, also a degree as experimental test pilot or test engineer from an official test pilot school at master's level is also accepted. Now, in addition to the hard and formal requirements, there are soft skills that we're looking for. Uh, you probably know the workload of an astronaut is high and uh, working hours can be quite irregular. So as an astronaut, you need to be flexible. You need to be prepared to cope with frequent travels and being away from your friends and families for intensive training and preparations, both within and outside of Europe. We work closely with many people from many different backgrounds from all over the world and are very often confronted with quite challenging situations. And it's therefore really important to be able to work well as part of an intercultural and interdisciplinary team and to be able to communicate in a clear, concise and also in a considerate way. Astronaut candidates should also have excellent fine motor skills. They need to be able to rapidly absorb and synthesize complex information and make informed decisions. Astronauts also need to master the art of remaining calm under pressure. But don't worry, there is always a very strong team uh, behind and supporting them. And last but not least, astronauts are some of the most visible ambassadors of our space program. And uh, as such, they will participate in public relations, outreach and education activities where we expect them to be passionate about sharing their knowledge about ESA and space exploration and engage wide audiences, especially the younger generation, not only before and during a mission, but also afterwards. And what's the timeline with this? You know, are these astronauts going to be trained in time to be able to go to the International Space Station or are they looking beyond that or is it a bit of both? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a combination of both. Um, so we think it's uh, our responsibility to ensure a smooth transfer of knowledge from one class of astronauts to the next. Recruiting and training new astronauts, of course, takes time, and but there are many future possible uh, opportunities coming up. For example, there are additional ISS long-duration science missions. Uh, the ISS will operate until at least 2024, and discussions are underway to extend that to 2028 or uh, even beyond. There may be flight opportunities arising from new partnerships, uh, like with China or commercial partners. And together with our international partners, we are working towards missions towards the moon as part of the Artemis program, the successor of the Apollo program. We're currently building an ESA moon science program, and for that we will need ESA astronauts to carry it out. 
So there are a lot of flight opportunities that uh, await us. Um, last time that we ran such a new astronaut recruitment campaign was in 2008. There were not that many flight opportunities confirmed back then. But in the end, that new class has ended up spending more time in space than any previous astronaut class. So the new astronauts are not replacing our current astronauts. Um, exploration is a collective effort. We need to extend the pool of talents that we can rely on in order to continue to make progress uh, in that endeavor. Um, so they will complement uh, our, our exi existing uh, astronaut core. Um, and yeah, with, with the new class, we are preparing for the future. Yeah, and it is quite a future, isn't it? Can you tell us a bit more about ESA's plans for the Moon and, of course, the Lunar Gateway. The Gateway is going to be our Moon Orbiting Research Platform. It will be assembled and operated in the vicinity of the Moon, where it will move between different orbits and uh, yeah, enable the most distance, uh, distant human space missions ever attempted. So with the Gateway, we will extend human presence 1,000 times farther into space compared to today's uh, International Space Station. Already a few years ago, we, uh, we held science workshops for the Gateway. There's tremendous enthusiasm for the Gateway in the science community because it's a real opportunity to do the kind of science that has not been possible before. The location of the Gateway will be very different from that of the ISS. It will have a very special orbit and environment and will therefore provide unique opportunities for science. Because getting astronauts out to lunar orbit will require expensive and therefore relatively infrequent launches, the Gateway will most likely be uninhabited uh, for most of the year, meaning the Gateway will only be occupied initially for weeks and later for months at a time. But the outpost will host and support research all year round, no matter how often astronauts visit. The idea is to include a variety of autonomous scientific gear to both the interior and the exterior of Gateway, from the areas of astrobiology, cosmic dust, space plasma physics and radiation. And then when the uh, Gateway is occupied, the crew members could, for example, operate rovers on the lunar surface with basically no commanding latency. Samples could be uh, sent back to the station by uncrewed spacecrafts, or astronauts could, of course, take sortie missions down there themselves. I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like. I assume they're going to have some wonderful windows on this lunar gateway and what would the astronauts be seeing would it be the, a similar sort of view to michael collins had when he was on apollo 11 as neil and buzz were walking on the moon and he was in orbit around it or is it going to be i assume it's going to be a bit further away than that they will be a little bit farther away but the the orbit will change so uh, i think i don't have the numbers uh, uh, memorized but the the, the closest they will be will be a, a few hundred uh, kilometers away from moon and the farthest, farthest will I think be 7,000 or 70,000 kilometers away. So there will be there will be uh, changes in in the orbit that of course uh, goes along with yeah different views from uh, from gateway. And how long will people be up there? You know, what's the duration of the mission? Um, in the initial uh, phase, when we will still uh, yeah, assemble Gateway, um, astronauts will not be there for more than a month at a time. 
But then uh, once Gateway is fully assembled and uh, all modules and elements are up there, we expect that they can stay there for as long as three months per per year. Oh, three months in orbit around the moon. That's quite something, isn't it? How is it going to be constructed then? Is it going to be constructed in orbit around? I mean, how does it work? It will work. Uh, it will follow the same uh, concept and philosophy as uh, as the ISS. Um, so you probably know that the ISS was uh, the, the ISS consists of different modules and elements that were uh, built uh, worldwide, and they were only assembled uh, in orbit. Uh, so they had never been made it before they actually were launched. Um, and uh, we will follow the same concept and philosophy for Gateway. So we will only assemble all the different uh, individual elements and modules once they are in the lunar vicinity. I feel like I should apologize slightly for this question because everything you've said answers this already to my mind. But why should we have human spaceflight when we can do it so well with robots? <laughs> yeah, that's always uh, um, the the question that uh, we 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 are faced with. We are always asked, uh, yeah, even more uh, general, uh, why uh, why do we spend uh, money for for human spaceflight? Uh, should the money not be invested, uh, or can the money not uh, be invested better in earthly uh, problems? Um, now, yeah, the the question about uh, human versus robotic exploration. The vast majority of recent planetary exploration of the solar system was uh, achieved through robotic explorers. Those uncrewed missions have led to world-class science results. But I really think that a full partnership between humans and robots is essential to the full success of uh, space exploration. Because only humans are equipped with adaptability, dexterity, creativity, intuition, and also the ability to make real-time decisions. And the actual experience of astronauts and cosmonauts over the past yeah, 50 years has shown the merits of people as explorers of space. Human skills are required to install and maintain complex scientific instruments and uh, to conduct field exploration in space. Many of the science instruments uh, sent into space require very careful installation and alignment to work properly. And here we have been able to take advantage of human flexibility, experience and judgment. Those tasks um, require skills that I doubt are going to be automated within the foreseeable future. In my opinion, a uh, program of purely robotic exploration is inadequate for addressing the important science issues that make the planets or destinations in deep space worthy of detailed study. The uh, value of humans in space becomes even more apparent when complex equipment breaks down. On several occasions, astronauts have been able to fix and repair hardware in space, saving missions and the precious scientific data that they produce. A very prominent example is the Hubble Space Telescope that originally was short-sighted, but through an ambitious shuttle mission with five spacewalks in total, astronauts managed to correct its optics and Hubble has provided us with sharp and very stunning views of our universe ever since. That is something that uh, probably a uh, a robot would not have been able to uh, yeah to to achieve. You've reminded me of that wonderful IMAX film, you know, the space station IMAX film, 
when they are fixing us about fixing the Hubble. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, will you be taking IMAX cameras to the Lunar Gateway? Most likely. At the very beginning, we will, of course, uh, focus on the most essential parts and elements. Um, you know, that uh, bringing hardware uh, or anything into space is quite uh, expensive. And we have to be very uh, yeah, uh, careful on what we bring into space. But then at a later stage, uh, once everything is assembled, I'm sure there will be uh, lots of high resolution and other uh, uh, clever uh, things up there. Well, that's brilliant news for those of us who won't be applying or can't apply for whatever reason to be one of these astronauts. But for those listeners who are going to be applying, what do they have to do? What's the process for becoming one of these astronauts. Yeah, well, uh, it's a it's a multi-stage process. Uh, the very first step uh, will be released this week. Uh, you will have to fill out a form and submit, uh, yeah, uh, very basic uh, information about yourself. Um, we will require, for example, a medical uh, certificate that uh, that uh, yeah uh, shows that you are medically fit and able to uh, uh, undergo training and then uh, go to space. And then there are several other stages where you are tested uh, from a psychological point of view. We will test uh, or you will undergo uh, exercises on how to handle hardware and equipment, how you work uh, in a group, how you work. Uh, in an international environment. We expect that this entire process will take uh, up to two years. Um, but yeah, if, if you think that you meet the requirements or those that think that meet the requirements, uh, I advise them, don't shy away from applying to this call. Uh, you have nothing to lose, but a lot to win. Um, so I would advise anybody who is considering to apply to be daring and to not be discouraged if any barriers uh, appear. Even if you do not make it to the very end of the astronaut selection process, you may learn through the process that there are other very rewarding places in science and engineering. And yeah, curiosity, perseverance and competence are key. There's so much work to be done in discovery and science and innovation. And we humans, we have such limited time in which to do it. We have to learn so much about how to save our planet from climate change, how to cure diseases, how to solve international conflict, how to explore deep space and reveal undiscovered secrets of physical laws. You do not need to be an astronaut to be part of discovery and exploration. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much to Jennifer and Go Anne for talking to me. Jennifer is, as I say, team leader for human and robotic exploration at the European Space Agency. If you are interested in applying to be one of those astronauts, and I know that some of you are, as I say, I know that some of you might be wondering whether you should or not, and I hope that what you've just heard from Jennifer will inspire you to do so. Of course, you can find it on the European Space Agency's website, but we will, of course, be posting links on the Cosmic Shed website, thecosmicshed.com. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Jennifer and uh, we'll be looking in on this process because friends of the shed have been telling me that they're going to apply and hopefully we'll be able to bring you some conversations with them as they go through the process of hopefully becoming one of these astronauts of the future. What a time to be alive. And we'll be back very soon with an episode on Ammonite, the new film which is starring Kate Winslet and streaming on various platforms at the moment about Mary Anning, 
Oh, and if you want to get ahead of the game slightly with episodes, we're probably going to do one on The Vast of Night, which you can find on Amazon Prime. Highly recommend that wonderful kind of 50s feel to a really beautifully paced science fiction film with a bit of radio in there. Lovely stuff. And thank you very much for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by the Stimulus Network.